Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. My name is Nathan Westlake, and I'm the middle-aged white guy who gets to follow Howard around and uh, keep, uh, keep, him, keep him on, uh, on task, uh, which is uh, a difficult task for me. Now, actually, where we, where we are, uh, are partnering is in these reconciliation efforts that Dom has referred to, where we are invited into communities and we get to record the sacred songs and stories of the elders. Uh, so it's an incredible reconciliation effort because you can't have reconciliation without reparation. And so the ability to record and preserve culture, of course, is also, also repairs it. So it's an incredible story of how God has opened these doors for us, but it's a story we told last night, and it's a story that you can maybe piece together from Dom and other people that, uh, that we have uh, talked to here. I'm going to go in a little bit different direction, and I should actually welcome people from Ambrose House. Dom's told me like 15 times, welcome people from Ambrose House, and I almost forgot. <laughs> welcome to our morning here, lest you be forgotten. What I want to talk about is a book that I wrote called The Upside Down Life. Now, I'm a prairie boy. So it's hard for me to talk about something I did that I'm proud of. Uh, in the prairies, we're kind of self-effacing. We're like, sort of like, keep this quiet. And in fact, um, I only brought five books last night because I was kind of like, eh, it's probably not really that kind of... So if there is a sense among you, and there is among me, that when pastors are trying to sell books on a Sunday morning, it sort of makes you a little annoyed, it makes me annoyed too. So understand that all the proceeds of this book are going to fund the Reconciliation Project which means that since it's been flying off the shelf, so far there's been like $80 that we have been able to give to... No, I'm joking. It's sold a little bit better than that, but not a whole lot more. So when you're buying the book, you're in good faith supporting this project that, uh, that Howard is a part of and that I'm a part of. The sermon this morning is going to summarize some of the themes in the book. I wrote the book for a fictional guy in my mind that I play hockey with. I can play hockey with real guys. I don't want you to be worried about that, that I have this weird imaginary hockey league in my mind that I'm a, I'm a part of. No. It was a composite of all these different guys who, A, don't read a whole lot, gave their lives to Jesus later in life, and don't have much of a church background. What do they need to get them going on the right path early on? And while that was who I had in mind, I've, I've since seen that this is actually a really helpful way for you to move into some of what the Holy Spirit has for you. So we'll jump into a conversation that I think you'll recognize yourself in that happens in John 3. In John 3, somebody can't sleep at night. No need to have a show of hands, but there's a lot of people that have trouble sleeping. And when you can't sleep, you have things on your mind. You've got questions. You 
have deep questions. You have painful memories. You're sorting stuff out, and it's late at night, and it's hard to get the answers and the peace that you need. In John 3, we have a late-night visitor coming to Jesus. I want you to just imagine that this guy can't sleep because he has questions on his heart that every human heart has. And he's really articulate. So when we read this passage in John 3, you're going to find language for some of the things that are on your heart late at night when you're thinking deep things about life. Let's turn to John 3. Is it there? Yeah. Oh, it's back there. There it is. A, okay, I thought we were starting a little bit earlier, but that's okay. I can set it up. Late night visitor, Pharisee, religious man, comes to Jesus. He can't sleep. He comes in. Oh, there it is. There was a man named Nicodemus who I've been telling you about, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. So listen, not a theoretical question. You don't get out of bed at night to go to talk to somebody about theology, right? You go because there's something there of such substance and weight in your heart that it, it, you just can't stand it. So he goes there, speaks with Jesus. Teacher, rabbi, he says, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus cuts right to the chase. It's like, we don't need this intro, Nicodemus. We can just get right to the heart of it. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Boom. Nicodemus is like, okay, we're not making much small talk here. It's like, Jesus, I'll say something nice about you. You say something nice about me. And then, No, Jesus is right into the heart of it. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot participate in the momentum of what God is doing. You can't have the backing of the Holy Spirit. You can't have a life that feels like you're swimming with the current instead of upstream, unless you are born again. There's all these connotations in, in what Jesus says. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Now, this is the question that's on the human heart. It gets a little bit, it gets a little bit more pointed in the next, the next few verses. How can an old man go back and start again? How do I get a fresh start? How do I recapture some semblance of the innocence and hope that I once had in my life that either circumstances or choices stripped away from me, and now I am more broken than I would ever want to be, and I don't know how to repair myself? Jesus says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Do you see that Jesus is dividing the human race into two? Two fundamental categories of human beings now. There are people that are born of water. That's everybody. Everybody in this room, everybody in this, this city. And there's people that are that natural birth of water. And then there's people that are also born of the spirit. Humans can only reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Two categories of human beings, Nicodemus, and you have to figure out how to get into this spirit life if you're going to feel what you're wanting to feel, if you're going to have the strength that you want to have, if you want to have the victory and peace and the character formation that is promised in the kingdom of God. Jesus continues, So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Here's the verses that we're going to allow our imaginations to live in for the rest of our time together. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So just seize on this image of wind. 
because we're going to play with it for the rest of the morning. It's Jesus' invitation for us to think about the Spirit as wind. It's often used through the Scriptures, so I'm not kind of projecting this everywhere, but we're still going to use our imaginations to imagine how this wind might work. The conversation winds down with Nicodemus saying, how are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. And then Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. Let's play with this idea of wind a little bit to help us understand how it is we're going to partner with the Spirit. You need to be forewarned, though, that a lot of it is riding on my ability to draw this morning. So you may not receive the Holy Spirit or understand the Holy Spirit in a way that I want you to unless I draw really well. You also need to know that in my home church, they don't let me use a whiteboard because they're generally like, it's never been helpful. I actually told Chris, who was with me, he's like, they gave you a whiteboard? I'm like, I know, I know, I know. So here we go. This is a guy who has never won a Pictionary game. If you remember what that is, never won like a, a charades. It always, people are generally like, it's a potato, it's a potato. I'm like, no, it's like a Christmas tree. But anyway, here we go. For better or for worse, hopefully for the better, we're going to play with this idea of wind, and we're going to start with the idea that we are boats. Here we go. I have, notice how I have to tell you what I'm drawing before I draw it. You'll understand why. Here are, well, you would have known what those are, waves. And they're like really symmetrical. Sine, sine waves, sin waves? Well, I don't know. All right, sine, thank you. Then we have, oh, now here's where it gets difficult. We, let's make the boat a different color. Now, a boat shouldn't be too hard, should it, Nathan? No, it shouldn't. There we go. Look at that. She's a seaworthy craft, she is. And that's you, your little boat sailing on this water, and you are wanting to experience the wind of the Holy Spirit. It might seem like it's difficult to experience the wind of the Holy Spirit based on this conversation, because it seems like you might understand Jesus saying to Nicodemus, what can you do? The wind blows wherever it wants to, wherever it's just random. And so there's some people then that are going to have certain kinds of experience of the Holy Spirit that aren't available to other people because the Holy Spirit just kind of zaps over here and blows over here. That's to misunderstand what Jesus is saying. When Jesus says the Holy Spirit blows where it wants, other translations have where it pleases. So think more in terms of prevailing winds instead of random gusts of wind. The Holy Spirit always blows in certain directions, predictable directions, let's say. So what we're going to do with that is we're going to imagine then there's two shores, and there's prevailing winds going, oh, that's going to mess up my drawing later if I go that far. There's, winds are blowing this way. I will not risk blowing a face, blowing the wind. The wind is going this way. To God's shore. We'll just put a cross here. This is the kind of the good shore. Uh, this shore, I'm not sure what, what I would put there. <laughs> suggestions? Anybody? <laughs> so we've got, we've got no suggestions from you, Dom. Yeah. The, the wind is always blowing where it pleases. You've got your little boat here. Um, so it matters what you're aiming for in life. It matters what your goals are. Because the Spirit is trying to bring justice and mercy and forgiveness, and grace. And if you're about trying to add another zero on the retirement fund, but you're going, where are you, Holy Spirit? You're not helping me. It's like, well, the Holy Spirit's going, well, I'm blown in this direction. If you're generous and sacrificial, you start to feel that momentum. 
If you're over here saying, oh, they hurt me so bad and I, I, just, I just can't let it go and it's okay for me to not let it go because I was wronged. Where are you, Holy Spirit? Why am I not feeling you? The gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit would be, because I'm not about holding a grudge. What God dreams about is a world where people are quick to forgive as they have been forgiven by me. So, Part of it is just simply you're steering towards the wrong shore. When you are orienting your life in a direction that the Holy Spirit isn't blowing, not only are you not feeling the momentum of the Holy Spirit behind you, but you're actually fighting the wind, which is a miserable thing to do. But this elementary idea actually can lead to some profound conviction for us because it takes the mystery out of it. And when you're going, okay, well, yeah, I still have these things that I'm not letting down, that I don't want to do God's way, but there's a part of me in worship that's longing for more. I'm calling for more. Why am I not feeling this or, or growing? My sail isn't, or pardon me, I'm not aimed for the right shore. So principle one, and when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're only ever talking about principles. We're not talking about formulas. Formulas don't work. Some of you maybe have tried that. I remember my dad when I was a kid, he had a book, um, How to Speak in Tongues, on his shelf. And it was basically, you know, to feel the Holy Spirit and have this manifestation of tongues. You just sort of started chatting by yourself and hopefully something would take over. And there was literally like step one, step two, step three, step four. That can be immensely frustrating for people. But principles are better. And if you're aiming for the right shore, you can begin to feel the Holy Spirit's momentum. Having steered your little vessel to the right shore, the next principle is to build the biggest possible sail. Here's how we do that. We take our red marker, and we just go for it. There we go. It's also problematic that it's a prairie guy talking about sailing. <laughs> I always worry that I'm going to run into somebody who actually knows what they're talking about, and they're like, it doesn't work that way. And be like, my whole life has been a lie. So you got your, your sail here. We're going to grow a big one. You don't grow a sail, Nathan. You just draw it. There we go. This is the up part of the sail. This is the side part of the sail. Like that. And then let's make this the down part of the sail. In the book, I elaborate on where these syllables come, but for the sense of time, come from, but for, for our purposes this morning and because of the time that we have... I'll just dive into it and, and summarize it this way. Up means up to God. Side means authentic relationships. And down is humble acts of service. These are the syllables that a Christian life needs to fire on in order to grow the biggest possible sale and experience the Holy Spirit. This is going to be tremendously helpful for you because some of us are good at one or two of these things, but our ceiling is the one that we haven't leaned into. I'll get into that in a second. Up to God, side to each other, and down in humble acts of service. So up is, think of that like the classic spiritual life, your daily devotions, your witnessing, the parts that are just sort of you and Jesus uh, on an individual basis. Side is the community that you're a part of, that you're prioritizing, where you're keeping short accounts and you're forgiving and you're, and you're serving, loving each other. And then down in humble acts of service is, is your acts of generosity, the pouring out of your resources and your time. It's in humble acts of service, so it doesn't seem patronizing, right? Because working down with people can maybe make us feel like we're superior to them, but it's not. It's a posture of on one knee helping the people around you. What you'll see as we live in this a little bit is that hypocrite 
is actually a one-syllable word. It's funny, I was writing out my notes for this, and my wife's looking over my shoulder. She's like, "Uh, it is not. And I was like, did you read my book? She's like, long time ago, Nathan. What I mean is, you become a hypocrite if you're only firing on one syllable. This explains some of the people that you know that have incredible prayer lives. They've memorized like the entire book of 1 Thessalonians, but you can't stand being in a room with them for 20 minutes because they make you feel so bad. You're just, your energy is drained. There's a character in the book I call Toxic Praying Grandma who is so pious and has preferences about the translation of the Bible and opinions about, and, and knows the Bible and prays in a way that is just staggering. But because there's a bitter root in her life of unforgiveness, now 30, 40, 50 years, it has taken so much of her joy that she becomes toxic. The people that she's judging for being immoral, she's never walked alongside and tried to help and love. Those stories would shift her heart. And so then, instead of being this weirdly isolated upsyllable that you can't stand to be around, grandkids are kind of looking at the clock, okay, i got to stay for about 10 more minutes here, otherwise she's going to be angry. So there's power here for you because you get the kind of Christian life that you lean into. And if you fire on all syllables, you get to become that elderly person who doesn't have people trying to escape from them. You become one of those sweet and winsome disciples of Jesus who continues to grow because you're leaning into up, side, and down and feeling the wind of the Spirit. Let's talk about one practice. In the book, I do two practices and one core belief for each syllable, but we'll just do one practice for each today. Let's talk about an up core practice. First one, daily devotions. And all God's people went, oh, crap. (laughs) Daily devotions. I tried that once, Nathan. And I got excited and it was talk kind of like yours, except the person had more energy and was was more lively. And they really inspired me. And so I got up at 6 a.m. And I lit a candle. And I went out the night before and I bought a journal and a special pen. And I had my Bible, and I had my coffee, and I had my candle, and I had my journal, and then in about five minutes, I was sound asleep. (laughs) And then I felt horrible. It's like I came to have this meeting with Jesus, and and I let him down, so I I stood up, and I slapped my face a few times, like I do when I'm trying to stay awake driving, and I rolled my shoulders, and and I tried again, and then pretty soon, there's a pile of drool on the pillow on the couch, And at that stage, I went from being upset with myself to being kind of angry at Jesus. Like, why is this so hard? If this is something that you want me to do, if this is where we're supposed to meet, if this is where we're supposed to commune together, then why why am I finding this so difficult? And it it is a frustrating thing for many Christians, many people who have followed Jesus, that they've never leaned into this practice enough that they're sort of, let me say, over the hump with it. Because if you continue with it, if you consider, consider, continue prioritizing this time, you begin to cultivate such an incredible life with Jesus that what goes from being at the starting point of an obligation to kind of check a box that you should do becomes the most precious and sustaining portion of your day. It really does. Some of you work out physically, and you know what happens two days after you don't. 
You start to get squirrely. You're driving people in your house nuts. You're like, I just got to go and lift something heavy. I got to go on the bike. And they're like, finally the people are like, just go because it's hard to live with you. Your daily devotions are sort of similar to that when they become such a part of your rhythm. You begin to have days that you feel like you're fueled and sustained by the presence of the Lord because you've met him early in the morning in a powerful way. And then there's days where you feel like you're dangerously close to being part of that other half of humanity that doesn't have the Spirit of God in them. And then the frustration continues. So I'm going to both give you something that's a bit of a challenge but is also a comfort. You're probably about three months of diligent practicing of your daily devotions away from it becoming pretty awesome. About three months. But it's so worth it because nothing will sustain you like this. I had, I had the privilege of watching my dad do this in his life. Six in the morning, he'd get up. He had like this devotional paraphernalia tucked under the couch. We lived in the century home. And, and uh, so he'd have devotions from six to seven most mornings. And I'd come down the steps, and he'd hear the creak of the steps at 7 o'clock as the kids are coming down for school, and he'd tuck his Bible and his journal under the couch. And it was a wondrous, wondrous thing for me to read my dad's journal. I'd pull it out from the couch, I'd look at it sometimes, I'd see, I'd see the prayers for my sisters and for me and my mom. Every now and then, I think he probably knew I was reading his journal, so there'd be like a, maybe a more vulnerable confession to the Lord in, in really bad penmanship that I couldn't, couldn't make out. Sometimes I'm, I mess with my kids that way. I assume that they're reading my journal, so I'll put kind of weird things in there just to kind of scare them. But that's, that's not necessarily a necessary devotional practice, but it's a way you can, you can have some fun with it. So, so I would just say lean into it. I mean, one of the differences from last time I was here at the 180 is all these little ones at the front. Uh, there was probably half a dozen, maybe, a little bit more. And, and so you want to steward them well, mom and dad, but you can't give them something you don't have. It's great to prioritize church, but if that Monday to Friday example isn't necessarily there, and you can't fake it, right, because your kids see who you really are, uh, but this changes who you really are. So non-negotiable practice, daily devotions, you know how I know it's non-negotiable? Because we're following Jesus, and he did it every day. Always communing with the Father, getting up early. The disciples are like, where is he? Where do he go? Oh, he's off walking by himself in the, in the cool of the morning. Up core practice, daily devotions. It will shift you. It will transform you. Stick with it. Do remember, though, that Jesus is really excited that you're there. You may be a little frustrated that, 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 uh, that he's not maybe delivering for you what you want him to, but that's actually when your devotions get good is when you stop having an agenda and you just want to be near him in whatever manner he reveals himself to you. Let's talk about side. Side practice has to do with our love for each other, and I have chosen to share this one with you. Forgive those who disappoint you. Now I'm talking about the little things, the things that aren't on your radar. You know, Howard's here talking about some of the trauma and the pain that he's been through. That's a big thing. Um, Many of us wouldn't have something like that, but we would have something in our life that would immediately come to our mind as a struggle for us to forgive. Be really glad I'm not talking about that thing this morning. I'll leave that for Dom. But I'm talking about those little nattering things that you can almost go, no big deal, or I'll just let that go. But you never actually formally forgive. And this will corrupt church life really quickly. 
especially if you're new to church, because the pattern is, I can't believe a place like this exists. I can't believe God loves me. All these people are so amazing. Then you find out they're not actually all that amazing. Right? There's some issues. Um, they're, they're, They're human. They're transforming, but some don't seem to be transforming as fast as others. And, and I've seen a lot of people eject from church early on because they just did not understand the, that they needed to forgive these little things. I think of some of the little things in my life, and it was actually funny when I wrote this book and I was articulating this principle for myself. I was like, oh, that sounds pretty good, Nathan. I wonder if there's anybody who's disappointed in you. You should make a list. I had 25 names. In like 35 seconds. <laughs> and, and I realized, okay, this is why I'm fighting my reflexes in my church life in the lobby because I actually haven't forgiven. I just thought I let it go. Or I just thought it was no big deal. I need to actually say out loud, Lord Jesus, where so-and-so wounded me. And when I say it out loud, it's, it's almost embarrassing because it's, it's just kind of silly things, but it's still there. I have to let that go. One of the places that I realized I hadn't let some things go had to do with our finances a few years back. We had a building program going on, and I was excited to lean into it as a, as a new lead pastor. It was kind of the first big thing we had tried to do as a group, and we were building a high school attachment to our, our school, or to our church, and uh, making our lobby space quite a bit nicer than it was. And we had this idea to have a series of Sundays, we called them Surge Sundays, where we would lean and move ahead and, uh, and knock off um, sort of that fundraising, you know, your, your benchmarks that you're trying to get. So I went to some people in our church that I thought would be early adopters for this, because we'll, we, we need to raise this money over a year and a half, but the first Surge Sunday, let's, let's land big. And I went and I found a couple, and they're very, very generous. They were going to come in first with a $50,000 gift. It was remarkable. I was really blessed by that. And then I thought, well, that's a great start. Um, I should go first, too. My wife and I had little kids then, and money was, was tighter than it is, uh, is now. We went into our line of credit about 7500 bucks. I thought, we'll just, we'll just do this here. And then my mom and dad go to our church, and I was like, they're easy pickings. I'll go, I'll go to mom and dad. And I think they, I think they did about five or $6,000. So 50 plus $75, we are looking at about $63,000. A good start. But I'm imagining the rest of the congregation is going to jump in. So Surge Sunday comes and goes. The next week, I get to announce to the congregation that Surge Sunday raised $70,000. And in my heart was like, what did the rest of you do? I mean, you don't want to hear your pastor say that. I announced it better than that. I was like, great news, everybody. Radical generosity from five of us. Now, I know fundraising is hard. I know it takes people a while to get on board. I know money is tight. I know people's priorities are shifting. I know some people don't get generosity. I know all those things, but there is still a bitterness in me that really compromised my ability to love people the way that I need to. Not as their pastor, uh, as their brother in Christ. Certainly as their pastor by extension. I've done this kind of exercise with, now let's say, six or seven churches And every time I lead people through this exercise, find somebody who disappointed you and forgive them. Nobody in any small group or triad that we meet in ever has gone, I can't think of anybody. Not a person. 
Everybody carries these little nattering things that can compromise body life. And man, you guys have such a good thing going here. It'd be such a shame if it was undone for some of you and you ejected because of something that you just didn't lean into and ask um, and forgive for. Now, you have to be careful here because you don't want to go to somebody and make a big deal of it, about it, right? They have no idea that you've offended them or that they've offended you, rather. And you, if you go to them and you're like, hey, I know we haven't seen eye to eye for the last three months, and they're like, what are you talking about? I don't, right? We're talking more about the stuff that it's so small other people wouldn't know. So you don't actually have to go to them and let them know that I've forgiven you. They're like, for what? Just This is a quiet thing between you and the Lord and maybe another person that will really purify your relationship and grow your sale. Let's move into the last practice, the down core practice. This is to lift the burdens of those people in your neighborhood. We're pretty good at lifting the burdens of people far from us. We send a check or we direct deposit to some agency. It's hard to do it for people right in front of us. One of the most frustrating things in my home church is that we are in a community that is one-third indigenous people, but you can't actually see that on a Sunday morning. You'd never know. Then, we do something that, that shows that our heart is good, like a Compassion Canada Sunday comes to our church, and people lean into it, and if you go to a home in our church, you see, you see on the fridge a Compassion kid or two. Like the, the rep actually said, I think you guys set the record in Canada for the percentage of your church that after the service sponsored a child. And I go, hooray! Except there's a nagging part of me. It's like, why can we do that when it's far away and not near? And I started to live in that a little bit. Um, it's just awkward. I think sometimes when it's near, you, you've got that ongoing relationship, so it's, you're, you're more invested. Because I don't know when this is going to end for me. If I start leaning into this, um, and I only have so much time or margin, but there's nothing, well, I shouldn't say there's nothing. Uh, for me, there's been nothing like, the, like this that's grown my capacity to, uh, to feel the Holy Spirit. I've had a pretty consistent up life, largely because of my father, I think, in his example. I, too, have my devotional stuff under the couch. It's a beautiful thing to look at your journals from 10 years ago and read what God has done. Uh, it's a good reminder of his faithfulness when, when you're maybe not sure where you're at right now and what you're struggling with is just a little bit hard to go back and be like, oh, yes, 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 you have been so good to me. So I was good at up. Side, I was about as good as an introvert can be. Um, regularly going to house church, trying to keep my relationships good. But this was a tough one for me. Um, partly because I'm like, I'm the pastor, I got lots of stuff on the go, I'm primarily a teacher, I don't really need to do some of that stuff. Part of it was just, frankly, selfishness. But then something cracked for me a few years ago, and I'll just, I'll just share it with you. And I, I want to share it with you with the understanding that it's not bragging, it's more like, oh, dear God, what I missed out on for the first 40 years of my life because I didn't lean into the syllable. Because I've gone on quests for the Holy Spirit before, like literal quests. I had like a quest budget line one year where I went to different environments where, you, where the Holy Spirit was doing some spectacular things. And I, I went and I, I, was, I felt like I was like the designated driver at the Holy Spirit party. Everyone's just kind of coming unglued and I'm just like, do, 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 trying to raise my hand, maybe, maybe feel something. And my, my longing was to actually feel something. I, I don't want to give myself the excuse that I'm cerebral or that I'm not wired that way. I want to feel the wind. And I hadn't. And then the Lord started moving in our, in our home and... 
with a friend of mine, and we invited these two Dakota teenagers to live with us from a reserve close to our town. We thought we were only going to have one, and then my friend called and said he's got a little brother. It's a very interesting prayer time for me. I said, Lord, we're already taking Adriel. Do you want us to open our home to Troy? This is one of my first experiences of Jesus' voice, loud and clear, saying, if you have to ask me that, you don't know me very well. It's like, oh, but Lord, I want to know you. I want to know what questions are stupid to ask you. So we invited these two boys into our home, and I realized how selfish I was when some of the people who knew me best were shocked. You? Of all people. You got margin, like you, you've got boundaries up to here. You protect your home life. Your social circles are pretty small. You, you've done what? And it was hard. It just kind of ripped all of the little sediments, things that had, that had congealed in my life and cracked them. But I went up to their bunk beds and I got to kneel down by this 15-year-old boy who had never had a grown man touch him in anything other than violence and place my hand on his shoulder and pray for him. And you know how when, I mean, it's, a, it's maybe not a great analogy, but do, do you know how like when, it, when an animal leans into you, just like craving something, and you feel the rise of this young man's back, and then the Holy Spirit hits you like a hurricane, and you go, I've been waiting for this my whole life. And it was this easy? Because I had doubled down on this however many times. I had confessed and rigorously worked on community, but I just hadn't cracked open this down syllable. And it still gets me. That's why I'm, I'm so excited about this reconciliation ministry is because I don't feel the Holy Spirit anywhere as much as I do when I'm ministering to some of the people that have been beaten and downtrodden in Canada and get to share the love of Jesus with them. But until my sale is big, I don't have much to share. I invite you to, uh, to fire on all syllables, to not just keep doing the same old thing, to leap with courage towards a syllable that you have held at arm's length. Maybe... I'm not much of a reader and I can't concentrate, okay? Jesus still wants to spend time with you. Get yourself an audio Bible. Listen to that. Start to 10 minutes. Work up to 20 minutes. Become somebody who can recognize his voice. I don't know if I want to connect with a church. I mean, it kind of gets ugly and, okay, no, no, no. Lean in. Lean in. And then, unless you live... And the only neighborhood in the world where people aren't hurting. God has something right in front of you that if you looked at it long enough, it's going to make you bawl. And maybe it's already making you cry. You know what that is, and you need to lean into that. But maybe you've just looked away too quickly. And so it hasn't had time to register. Friends, would you just look again and just look at that pain that the Lord has put in front of you to heal. Look at it long enough until it breaks your heart. Then you'll know what to do, and you will be filled with the wind of the Spirit like you never have before. Oh, thank you, Jesus.
it occurs to me that I don't know how we're ending this thing. Do you want me to just pray? Do you want me to pray? Yeah, all right. There's much, much, much hope this morning, Lord, if you have by your Spirit given us ears to hear, where we need to shift our direction and let go of some things that are keeping us from sailing to your shore. Oh, would you give us that courage? And even maybe just clarity. If we had the clarity, we'd have the courage. Your way is better than what we're hanging on to. So just give us the clarity to see the stuff that we're holding in our hands that's worthless. And then give us the courage to lean into the upside-down life that we might know what it is to feel you with such force that it nearly knocks us off our feet. And then the words actually mean something, that there are two types of human beings. There are ones born of water and one born of spirit. And those that are born of spirit are the hope of this world. And I release these people with that anointing to pursue you, to transform the world around them. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Before I let Nathan go, I want to say thanks, bud, for yeah, being vulnerable with us, being here with the team. Uh, Nathan and I have gotten closer over the years. You know how I know? Because every time I see him, I have a new nickname for him. And yeah. <laughs> You're not going to share no, any of them, though, are you? Okay, no, good. No. Or the backstories. <laughs> but I want, to, I want to just encourage you that Nathan's book, that maybe there's a few copies out there, has no drawings of his in it. That's true. So it's, That's true. So it's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> but we, uh, we want to encourage you to just make sure you remember that part of this morning is not just to think of something that's going to go away tomorrow, but it's something that's going to stay with us. And what Nathan shared is about that. It's about us being formed as whole and healthy people and that none of that can be done on our own. Mm -hmm. It really requires the power of God. And so if you're here for the first time and maybe you're watching online for the first time, this is kind of brand new. We just want to remind you that we're here to talk, to listen, to pray. Uh, we actually have a prayer space just over here in the corner if you want to pray with us. Surrender to your ways so that the sail can catch where the wind is blowing. I thank you for my brother Nathan and the church and the team that's here. Pray for his family, his wife, and his kids, that they would continue to see a man who's honest and has integrity in your story, Jesus, and in this way of life. I thank you for the partnerships that we get to experience as we open up our sail as a church and realize that you're connecting us with other churches and other people who want to see wholeness and healing in, in our land. And so I pray that today as we go, that we would take some time and reflect on whether we need to give more attention to what it means to be those who focus up or side or down, and that the sail would grow and that we would sense the power of your Spirit. Would you just continue to teach us what this looks like and continue to be with Nathan and the team as they travel? Keep them safe.
Continue to give Howard the wisdom he needs as he speaks and sings and shares the story of our indigenous brothers and sisters. And may you just go with us now as we continue to trust you. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, everyone. God bless.